In apartheid years, whenever people would organize, they would sing, even if it was a hymn, asking the Lord to help them out of their misery or their conflict with the authorities, whatever it is. David Coplin is an anthropology professor at Fitz University. Coplin has written extensively about popular black performance. Many of the old folk songs became struggle songs. So you have an old choral piece like Vukani Mawetu, Wake Up My People by Hamilton Masiza, and that became a band song. Couldn't be played on the SHBC and couldn't be sung, but they managed to sing it anyway because they changed the meaning without changing the words. The late Hamilton Masiza was also a long-time principal of the Wesleyan College Healdstown at Fort Beaufort in the Eastern Cape. This is where former president Nelson Mandela completed his schooling in the late 1930s. Oh, for the plight of the black in Africa, wrote Masiza, what have we done? Wake up, O countrymen, and be united. It is a dry white season. Dark leaves don't last. Their brief lives dry out. And with a broken heart, they dive down gently, headed for the earth, not even bleeding. This is Dr. Wally Sirotti, poet, Freedom Park founding CEO, former ANC parliamentarian, and Umkonto Wessis West Stalwart. In 1979, Sirotti co-founded an ANC cultural organization, the Madhu Art Ensemble, whilst in exile in Botswana. Three years later, when Nelson Mandela was in Polsmore Prison, Madhu hosted a culture and resistance symposium, exhibition and festival. Wally Sirotti says the ANC strategically used culture and the arts to attack apartheid. One of the things that we had to mobilize was the cultural boycott. We interacted with creative people at various levels. One of the most successful platforms was what we called the Culture and Resistance Conference and Symposium, where we pulled in people who South Africans had only known by name. People like Jonas Kwangwa, Semenya, Letambuli, Huma Sakela, Abdullah Ibrahim, and many, many, many others. So in 1987, when O.R. Tambo declared that there must be people-to-people contact, democracy, and dialogues on arts and culture. We were ready. The whole world was behind us. They had supported the boycott in very incredible ways. You remember the songs about, I will not go to Sun City. We wanted to understand, what does it mean to be free? In the mid-1980s, American musician little Stephen Van Sant initiated Artists United Against Apartheid. They opposed the Sun City Casino Resort in the former Bukhtutswana homeland. Performing there would have condoned apartheid and broken the international cultural boycott. The artists who were part of the organization included Bruce Springsteen, Miles Davis, Bob Dylan, Pat Benatar, Peter Gabriel, Bob Geldof, Bono, Keith Richards and Gil Scott Heron. Although the Sun City collaboration was banned in South Africa, it raised over a million dollars for anti-apartheid projects. By that stage, Nelson Mandela was still rejecting the apartheid government's conditional offers for his prison release. We are here to take part in a unique event to honor a great man. In mid-1988, American singer and activist Harry Belafonte opened one of the most politically influential and spectacular concerts at Wembley Stadium in London. The man 
is Nelson Mandela. At least 600 million people worldwide watched the 11-hour Nelson Mandela 70th birthday tribute. Tony Hollingsworth galvanized over 80 artists for that particular show. I went to see Archbishop Trevor Huddleston. I felt that the way that the anti-apartheid movement was campaigning had reached a glass ceiling. They were seen protesting in the street or on marches. We needed to change the voice of the campaign from being angry and negative into being positive and confident and celebratory. What I would propose is to produce a global broadcast event for television that would have so many artists in it that the broadcasters could not ignore it. It had Whitney Houston, Stevie Wonder, Simple Minds, Hugh Masakeda, Miriam McCabe. It went on and on and on. Archbishop Trevor Huddleston said he would have to call for sanctions and it would have to call for the release of all political prisoners. And I said the strategy is to keep it as a musical tribute to Nelson Mandela and if we keep it to that, the broadcasters can legally air it and they will then have to instruct their news divisions to stop calling him a black terrorist leader. Through these fields of destruction Dire Straits, who were the largest act in the world at the time, sang Brothers in Arms, One Humanity, One Justice. You did not desert me, my brothers in arms. Other musicians included Jerry Damers, Sting, George Michael, The Eurythmics, UB40, Ashford and Simpson, Joan Armatrade, Salif Keita, Yosu Endur, and Jonathan Butler. Don't you know, talking about a revolution sounds Tracy Chapman, who was almost totally unknown before that event, we put on twice on stage, and she sang Talking About a Revolution. Sounds like a whisper. It was tremendous. It demonstrated to mass media and politicians around the world that the public had moved ahead of them and they wanted Mandela out. The apartheid government also banned the 1988 Mandela concert. In 1989, President F.W. de Klerk freed eight political prisoners without any conditions. But de Klerk kept Nelson Mandela at Victor Vestere. On the music front, Sipo Hotsticks Mabuse released his Chant of the Marching album, but the censorship board and the SABC banned it for its alleged subversive political commentary. This forced musicians like Hotsticks to continue finding creative ways around the system. Too many tears, so many years. We would write lyrics, and in those lyrics we said things so that we don't get detected. And I'm still amazed at how long it took for them to even realize that I was involved in the underground structures of the liberation struggle. But then came the popularity. We were able to speak out because the international community knew who we were and there would have been an outcry if anything would have happened. Some two months after Nelson Mandela walked out of jail, 
Tony Hollingsworth organized another Wembley concert for him and a free South Africa. Veteran American singer Patti LaBelle said that when Mandela's eyes met hers backstage, it felt like the blood of Jesus had fallen on her. Where the dust hangs high. American singer-songwriter Terence Trent Darby likened his meeting with Mandela to being in the presence of a king. Nelson Mandela received a five-minute standing ovation. He thanked everyone for remembering apartheid's inhumanity and for demanding the unconditional release of all South African political prisoners. More importantly, Mandela used the concert to press for continued international sanctions. Nelson Mandela later reflected on the 1990 Wembley concert with the ghostwriter of his long walk to freedom autobiography, Rick Stengel. I wanted uh, to see Tracy Chapman. I've always been intrigued by that young lady. And when she came on the stage, I was really excited. And I was beginning to enjoy the music when I was told that Neil Kinnock was here to see me. I was keen to see Kinnock because the Labour Party had been a stronger pillar in the underparty struggle. But uh, I regretted missing Tracy Chapman. Marwar man. Let us begin all to run. Om the brigades can know what market they done. Then the next that I was expecting was the Manhattan Brothers. And they came on the stage, man. They evoked such memories of the 50s. Then I heard that the Russian ambassador was there to see me. Two events I looked forward to, I couldn't see. In November 2003, Nelson Mandela hosted a star-studded concert at Greenpoint Stadium in Cape Town to launch his 4664 campaign. 4664 was my prison number for the 18 years that I was imprisoned on Robben Island. I was supposed to be reduced to that number. Millions of people infected with HIV AIDS are in danger of being reduced to mere numbers unless we act. 46664 is a unique global initiative using the universal language of music and the wonder of modern technology to take our message to the greatest possible audience. Singers Brian May, Annie Lennox and Zucchero are three of Mandela's estimated 140 celebrity ambassadors. We did commit to Nelson Mandela a few years ago to the 46664 
cause of making this awareness around the world and this is our commitment. We said we would be here and every time he calls, we're here. This is a partnership between the North and the South. It's beautiful, symbolically. And I would like to see this kind of initiative taking place in every country. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela's epic story didn't only inspire songs and concerts. It also gave rise to dramatic works, such as Cape Town Opera's Mandela Trilogy in 2010. Writer and director Michael Williams describes the different musical influences in Mandela's life. His musical tastes would have changed from the time he was in the rural Kunu and to the Sophia Town jazz and then of course to the solitude of the prison. Music carries great emotional power. I think that concerts like 46664 and also the campaign to release Mandela put him at centre of the public domain. Music is really linked and woven around his life. Music is a great blessing. It has the power to elevate and liberate us. It sets people free to dream. It can unite us to sing with one voice. Such is the value of music. Irish musician John Hughes heard Nelson Mandela make this off-the-cuff remark in 2001. They were at South Africa's Freedom Day concert in London's Trafalgar Square. Hughes subsequently sampled Mandela's quote. It's now the prologue for his instrumental work, The Mandela Suite, a fitting title for the accompaniment to Madiba's life story. I'm Michelle Constant in Johannesburg.